Thank you for listening to the Prairie Oaks Pulpit Podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday morning sermons here at Prairie Oaks Baptist Church in Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Thank you for being a participant in this ministry through this media. And thank you to those who helped make it possible. Now may God bless you and keep you. And let's get to the message. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to spend a little bit of time. We... Uh, we saw a lot of Peter when we were going through John's gospel that he denied our Lord three times. And a lot of times that's, that's kind of where we just write people off, isn't it? But that's not where God writes people off. Thank you, Lord. Because otherwise he'd already wrote me off too. He would have wrote us all off. You know, um, now, there's a lot of folks in the scriptures, and we see that they did not finish well, and that they just kind of, something happened, and they just petered off. And, but uh, I think sometimes we get a little too guilty of writing people off that God didn't write off, and, and we can see that to be true of Peter, as we saw in John 21 that the Lord restored him. There was both a private conversation, but there was a public confirmation back unto Peter to lead and to serve and that he would be faithful even unto death. And death, he was faithful till there because we see here he's writing this many years after the book of Acts finishes and he's still faithfully serving the Lord. And he knows that his time is, is, is shortening, um, but he wants to make sure that the believers are ready to continue on. And so uh, he wrote this letter, and as far as we know, he may not have even ever met these people, but he may have in his travels. Some of these are places that the Apostle Paul, we're not even told that he ever went to those places, that so we're not sure how the gospel got there, except maybe the day of Pentecost, maybe just people traveling. But there were churches in these scattered places. And, Paul, and Peter wants to write to them and encourage them in God's, that they're still a part of God's plan. They're still there and God is working through them and with them. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, we're just going to look at the first five verses And if you would, out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pause there. 
Father, just thankful for the time in your word. I thank you for the opportunity to lift our voices in prayer and in singing and and fellowship. And now we come to your word and I pray that you guide my words and my thoughts to accurately teach your word, O Lord, that your word would minister to our hearts and grow us closer to you and transform us as as your spirit works within us through those words to make us more like Jesus, to whom be all of the praise. We pray, Lord, that you work in Children's Chapel and and speak through Miss Genia as she teaches your word to these young people, Lord, and that in, in here and in there that the lost would be saved, that lives would be transformed, your name would be praised, for you are worthy of all the honor, all the glory, of anything that we could call a sacrifice, Lord. You are worthy of this and more. And in the name of Jesus Christ and for his kingdom, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it's a, it's a worthy reminder that these are letters. I don't write letters like this, but we're starting to see where If you've read any of Paul's letters, you know they start kind of similarly. This is the way they wrote letters back then. And writing materials was precious. They didn't have the options of sending a text or sending an email or anything like that. You wrote it down on on a piece of parchment or something like that, and you gave it to someone that you trusted to carry this letter. It might, if it was on parchment, it was probably rolled up and sealed so that you knew it was the it was the real deal. But some of the other ones, they weren't because they wanted everybody to know what was in the contents of those letters. But they would give it to someone trusted to carry it. And as we talked about Wednesday night with Philemon, that uh, that person would carry and he would read the letter for the for the, the congregation is the usual way that would be done, because he would be able to repeat it the way that he heard it from the person who sent the letter. Now, I don't know if that's the case with Philemon or not. That is an interesting thought to chase, though. But as we see here, this was one of those open letters. It was to circulate to all these different places. So it would arrive in town and the church would read it uh, or the, 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 that person would read it to that church and then they'd make copies and send it in to the four winds, it sounds like. Because if, if you have maps in the back of your Bible, you can kind of find these places in those. But some of them we don't hear about except here in the Scriptures. Like Pontus, it's up on the Black Sea. It's off over uh, in a place that uh, almost close to, to like what is today Armenia and Georgia. Almost that far over. And uh, this is its one, one mention in the Bible, you know, um, Galatia, but we remember Paul going to Galatia, or at least the southern parts of that. And so we, we remember his missionary journeys there. Uh, Cappadocia, or Cappadocia, as they say it there. Um, it was another one of those places. It wasn't too far off of Paul's journeys, but it's, it's over there, just kind of in central part of what is today Turkey and, and Asia. That's not the, what we call Asia today, but that's really talking about like Ephesus, right? Now, Ephesus was kind of an important place. It seems like there's lots of letters that went there and people that traveled there and Paul was there a long time. And the, the sister cities of that province, we know that John wrote to them. And, and then you got Bithynia and it's, it's over by Istanbul today. Uh, again, we're not really sure 
how the, the pilgrims got there, but that's what they're called, isn't it? Pilgrims, sojourners, exiles. They've been scattered. Now, the term that he uses is usually used of Jewish people. Because you'll remember in the Old Testament, if you're with us on Wednesday nights in Isaiah, Isaiah warned them, if you keep on this track of sin and rebellion against God, he's going to kick you out of your land. Because it's not your land, it's his land. He, it's his land, he decides who gets to live there. And sure enough, they didn't change course. And a few years later, Babylon kicked them out. And for 70 years, they weren't there at all. And when some of them came back in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they were still ruled by someone in Babylon or somewhere like that. And so that never really changed much. There were a few little bright spots here and there of the Maccabees or whatnot, but they were ruled by someone else. And there were as many Jews outside of the homeland as there was in the homeland, if not more on the outside. And if you did a census today, it's about the same even today. There's as many outside, if not more, than there are in Israel today. And we know that Peter was the apostle to the, to the Jews. But as we read through the letter, we realize he's not just playing favorites here because God doesn't either. He wrote to the church and there's both Jews and Gentiles. And I think that's a good lesson for us to realize is, one, what God has put together, no man separate, that was the way he intended it to be. Was This was a new thing he had started. And we'll see that, that once you're born again, you're a new creature in Christ anyways. And so... Our, our Jewishness or Gentileness or all those things, still important parts of who we are, but more important is who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And that brings us together in a more important way than the things that would formally separate us and divide us. And... Yet at the same time, it does divide us from the world. The world is very different than we are. And navigating this, what used to be home, now that we are citizens of another country, it's a little awkward, isn't it? How do we navigate this? And there's a lot of instructions, not only in Peter's letters, but in through the whole New Testament from Jesus, Peter, Paul, John, how we're to navigate a world now that we're not at home here. Now that we're just exiles, pilgrims, we're travelers, and we're dispersed. And I gave you that little geography lesson because I want you to think about this as well. As he's writing to people, he's writing to people who kind of feel like they're, some of them are going to feel like they're a long ways from God's attention and the center of the universe. You know, um, places like Pontus and Cappadocia, they were a long ways from everywhere. You know, and then in that town, 
the believers felt even more isolated oftentimes, especially just a little church of just a dozen or 20 people or something. You can imagine it would be not like living in the Bible Belt, you know? And here in the Bible Belt, we sometimes feel like strangers and exiles, pilgrims in a foreign land when we read the news and when we see what's going on around us. It can be disorienting. And so I want us to kind of camp out in that thought for just a minute because as we read this and as we think about this, what he's going to tell us to do first is the remedy to that isolation and, and that is to remember who God is. The first five verses are all about God. And how do I know that? Because verse three starts with praise God. And he gives us reasons to praise God before and after that. Praise God. That's all he's, yeah, praise God. That's a command. Glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we were talking in Sunday school, um, we were talking about how he is the creator of everything. And at the same time, he didn't just throw it out there. He carefully wove it together. Every piece, every, every part has a specific function and place. And that includes you and me. Every person. There are no accidents. You told me that. There are no accidental people. There may be accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. They're each one planned by God. I'm, I'm quoting you, Brother Gene. But I want you to think about that as we read here in verse 2. As, so he says, this is who I'm writing to, but this is who you are. You're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And then that's what prompts him to say, praise God. So let's unpack that. There's a lot going on in this. So first off, is it's a word that kind of gets some of us as, as good Baptists a little squirmish. And that's that word elect, foreknowledge, foreordained, predestination. Ooh, it gives people the chills when you say that, right? But let's keep it in the context of what Peter is saying here. Because what he's reminding them is that they are not accidents. Now, I'm always reminded when... Uh, I go to this subject of Jesus speaking to the disciples and he reminded them, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I'm sure they were sitting there thinking, but I thought I chose to follow you. (laughs) They felt like they did. But Jesus says, no, I chose you. You wouldn't have ever chose me if I hadn't drawn you into this. And so here we have this word here, and it is, so let's just, you, let it serve the function that Peter intends. And that is that you were chose for such a time as this and for such a place as this. God chose you in the big plan of God. And that's what he's talking about when he's talking about the foreknowledge of God. And I can show you that because in verse 20, 
he says something here that Christ indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. That foreordained is the same word as he's using here. And so he says, I have chosen you for such a time as this, for such a place as this. That's not just true of Esther. That's true of every one of us. And so that's to give us encouragement. We may feel like, we may feel like we're in the Dunbar of, of, of the Western frontier and, and all by ourselves, but oh, you've been chosen. And the big plan of God, he was thinking of you before the foundations of the earth. And in that, he says, and I'm your father. You're in my family. I'm going to take care of my kids. Sometimes it's going to feel the opposite of that. As we're going to find out, Peter's writing to people who are suffering some persecution. It's not easy following Jesus. Their friends stopped hanging out with them. Some of them lost their jobs. Some of them have had to uh, uh, just go and start brand new with a new group of people because they had nothing. But he says, Father is going to take care of you because you have the Father here. And so you were chose. But how did we get to the next step? The next step in sanctification of the Spirit. Now, sanctification is a fun word because it goes a couple different ways. One is like it is in Leviticus where something is sanctified. It was at one time common, but now it has been set apart for God's holy purposes. And I'll use a, a, a illustration. We haven't got to in numbers yet, but there's an episode where the, uh, the sons of Korah, or not the sons of Korah, Korah, his sons were no partaker in this. Korah and some of his buddies wanted to take over the priesthood for themselves because they thought Aaron was being a little too prideful in this thing. And so they made these incense burners. Well, no, God chose who his priest was going to be. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says nobody would choose it for themselves if they had a chance. Um, but because those incense burners had been set apart for God's purposes, when God slew those men for their hubris, for their pride, the incense burners were preserved because they'd been set apart for God and they used them to coat the outside of the altar, the bronze altar, that was the bronze that they used was those incense burners. And because it was set apart, it was sanctified. Now, sanctified by fire, mind you. Now, that's one way the word sanctified is used. The other way it is used is a progress. It's a progressive thing where God keeps making you holy. And that's, again, a work of the Holy Spirit in that you've been born again, but you got some old habits that need taken care of. 
got some things that need changed. That's called sanctification as well, in which he is working in us in obedience to the word to transform us into the image of his son. He doesn't do it all at once. Sometimes we think that would be nice, but it would be such a shocking and upturning of a thing, we wouldn't appreciate it, nor would we survive it. But I'm pretty sure he does it progressively because we need that. And because the process teaches us something as well. Well, I think Peter is aware of both of those definitions of sanctification, but I think he's referring to the the first definition first. And that you've been chosen by God for such a time and for such a place. But now that he's chose you, the Holy Spirit has come in and set you apart for his purposes. He set you apart. And so if you feel like you have been, uh, you just kind of peculiar and don't fit in, that's part of it. Because you've been set apart. You're for his purposes now. And then the next thing in this is we go from the Father, we go to the Spirit, and now we're going to go to the Son. Because in the Son, we've been set apart by the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And again, obedience is like sanctification. Usually we think of, well, I need to obey what I'm told. But what was the first thing that we were told in the New Testament. We looked at this last week, and I think it's interesting. John the Baptist, and then Jesus repeated it. Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I don't think Peter ever forgot the first command that he was told by the prophet, which was repent. And so when he, Peter, more than most than Paul... When he talks about obedience, he's talking about obedience to the gospel. The gospel message is repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and trust in the Messiah. And that's that's our first command. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not you earning your salvation. That's just you receiving the gift that he's given. But it is. On our on God's end, you've been chosen. Where the rubber meets the road in your life, you obeyed. You said, you're right, God. I am a sinner. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness of my sins. And so when I did that, then the blood of the covenant is sprinkled on me. The new covenant. The forgiveness of sins. Washing away of my sins. Glory. And so that's what's going on here is that he says to you who are exiles and pilgrims going through this world, elect, chosen by God, set apart by the Spirit so that you can be forgiven of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that you have grace upon you and you have peace And this is the funny part. That's how all of them start their letters. Grace to you and peace. I did a quick scan and not all of Paul's letters because I didn't have time to look at them all. But all the ones I looked at, that's in there. Grace to you and peace. 
because apparently we need all the grace we can get. And in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That is our peace. Now, there was a lot just in the first two verses, and I thought I was going to get through all five here. So we're going to move faster through the next three, all right? So then we get to verse three, and again, praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. Who do you think appreciates mercy? The one who needs it the most. And do you think Peter was one of those that he felt like, I really needed mercy. I really needed mercy. And God showed it to me. Jesus showed that mercy to me. The longer you read Paul's letters, and if you read them in chronological order, he gets more and more aware of his need for mercy. So that by the time you get to his last letters, he's like, I'm the chiefest of sinners. He was more and more aware of his sin and more and more aware of his need for mercy. And so here, Peter, at the end of his life, says the same thing. Who, according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again to a living hope. We've been born again. So now you see how this connects up to what he was just talking about in verse 2, don't you? He was talking about all that God was doing. And here it is again. God is doing it. He has borne us again. The first one is important. I mean, you wouldn't be here without it. But the second one is the one that gives us eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for our sins at the cross and he rose again that we might have newness of life. And so that is already a living hope. But think about all else that the resurrection does to give us hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I know how the story ends. My story doesn't end at death. That's the start of the story. This here is all I've known so far, but what is on the other side is so much greater and more. And so he has given me a living hope. And I I liked where one of my uh, my study notes uh, made this comment. You know, can you imagine someone threatening Lazarus's life? He's like, I've already been dead. I know the guy that raises the dead. You're not scaring me. You know? And Peter, no doubt, would be, would be one of those that's like, all you're doing is threatening me with heaven. You know? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain is what the Apostle Paul described it as. We have a living hope. And so, and it expands in that that's just the start of it. The reason we know there's so much more attached to it is because we have an inheritance. We are joint heirs with Christ. The Father has bequeathed to His Son all authority 
in heaven and earth. All the praise will go to him. All the majesty goes to him. Everything goes to him. And somehow in Christ, we are joint heirs into that. And he's going to shower this on us as well. I, I asked me to explain it to you and I'm, I'm at a loss for words. But think about what that inheritance is because it is incorruptible. Sin is never going to mess it up. It is undefiled. In its, in its origin, it is from the perfect God who's still on plan A. And it does not fade away. Rather, it is reserved in heaven for you. And uh, you got to like that word reservations. You know, where you have this and it is reserved. And even if you feel like you showed up late or whatever, it's reserved. It is yours. And this inheritance is yours in Christ. Whether you live to 95 or you didn't make it to 25, it's yours. In Christ, whether you were Billy Graham or you were Billy Nobody, it is yours. It is reserved in heaven for you. For you. And if you're like me, then this is the point in which you think, yeah, but if I can mess it up, I will. I'll mess myself up. But then this is what he says in verse 5. He says, you who are kept by the power of God. It's a different word, but it's a synonym for the word that was reserved up there. Because they both kind of mean the same thing. It is under the watchful guard of God himself. So the same care God is taking to reserve that inheritance in heaven is being taken to reserve you for heaven. Ponder on that for a minute. The same care he takes to reserve heaven as holy, undefiled, and incorruptible is the same care God is taking to get you there. His power. Absolutely. And it is, how does he do that? Through faith. So when my faith is wavering and my doubts grow, I need to go back and say, God, you're going to have to help me with this because I have a promise right here that by the power of God, he will keep me through faith. He will give me the faith to continue on. For a salvation, for because as great as it is to be saved now, there's still more salvation to come. Because one, I was forgiven the penalty of sin. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I've been saved from the power of sin. Now, I don't have to give in to it, although sometimes I still do. But praise God, I will be saved from the presence of of sin. I will be incorruptible, undefiled, and not fade away. Who 
So I am kept, I am guarded by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so God is working this plan, same plan from the beginning. He's got all these details figured out in that he is, he's hand chose and he has brought them to himself and he is cleaning them up. Them, you and I. He has cleaned us up. He has borne us again into his family begotten us again. He has given us this inheritance, an inheritance that he guards with, if you need a picture in your head, with angels, with flaming swords, guarding this inheritance from all impurity and all defilement and does the same for you and for me to get us there. Believe it, he says. Because I'm still going to accomplish it. Glory. Praise be to God. We have reason to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for His abundant mercy. Glory. And so we're going to have a song of invitation. I don't know where you are in this process. You may have some doubts and and fears and things, and you just want to pray to God and say, all right, you're going to have to give me the faith. You're going to have to help me out with this. You may have some, uh, some bigger things. You may be saying, I don't think I'm in on this yet. I need God to save me, to born me again. Today's a great day to do that as well. Or maybe just want to pray for someone else to find their way in doing that. Because that's why we can pray that kind of prayer. Is because God's the one that finds the lost sheep. He's the good shepherd. But whatever it is the Spirit is prompting this morning, will you stand and will you respond as His Holy Spirit is prompting today?